This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new episode of Mercado and Manning, Media Week's weekly TV podcast. I'm James Manning and my guest co-host every week is Andrew Mercado, TV historian, a TV critic. I've seen you've been writing about um, number 96 anniversary this week. I think it was a big piece in The Guardian. Is that right, um, Andrew? Yeah, the uh, Guardian did a story on this uh, new book that I spoke about on the podcasts a few weeks ago. Um, and, yeah, they've taken some of the uh, some of the best bits from the book because this is the book that's written by the actors and their memories and uh, some of them are, are quite outrageous, uh, some of the things that went on during taping, some of the things that were said to make people laugh when uh, the director called action, um, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, I would expect nothing less than it to be outrageous given what actually ended up on screen was also outrageous. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's great. So, um that's um, Andrew on number 96. And um, we've talked about before how we wish um, people would take some of the sort of gutsy decisions uh, that they made back then when they programmed shows like that uh, these days. But look, yeah. coming up on today's podcast, we'll talk about House of the Dragon. We're going to talk about Summer Love, a, uh, a comedy coming to ABC, a movie coming to Paramount Plus, uh, Sherwood, which is uh, a drama on BBC first, and a couple of dramas on SBS. Um, Andrew, let's start with, I guess, the biggest hype of the, the last month or two has been around House of the Dragon, um, this sort of prequel to Game of Thrones, of course, set 178 years before the birth of uh, Daenerys, um, um, what's her name, uh, Targaryen, isn't it? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Um, and look, for, for me, it sort of lived up to the hype. I'm, I was quite happy with the first episode. Yeah, look, uh, I'm really happy that Game of Thrones fans have a whole new series to watch. HBO know it's a cash cow. It's the most successful show in their history. Of course they're going to come up with a new series. It looks to be very well made. It's great to see Aussie actor Millie Alcock in there as one of the lead roles. But, you know, James, personally, I was never a huge Game of Thrones fan and I was reminded why when I was watching the first episode of House of the Dragon and as soon as they went into, like, a battle sequence, I completely switched off and picked up my phone and started scrolling through Twitter. And about ten minutes later I came to and looked up at the screen and went, oh, yeah, I, I have zero interest in watching this. It's not my thing. But I get why people love it, and I think it's really well made, and I hope it lives up to their expectations. But, yeah, I'm, I won't be watching it again. Yeah, they do put – they do go, you know, too much into battles. And I think that was maybe one of the problems with Game of Thrones, why the ending was such a disappointment for, for, for so many people. They, they peaked probably mid-series or about two-thirds of the way through – with some of the massively orchestrated battle scenes. Um, and there was sort of nowhere to go after that. There was just, they invested obviously so much money, so much time, and everything else was almost an anticlimax to people who'd been watching. There was this really weird uh, kind of commentary in 
the Daily Telegraph that uh, the spin-off had not gone woke, that it still had lots of sex and violence and nudity. And I, I read that and just thought, sorry, who ever said that Games of Thrones was going to go woke? They would have been mad to have dropped those elements from the show. Of course that stuff was always going to be there. So whoever your friends are that keep asking you that, like seriously, get a new set of friends because this was this was always going to be what uh, House of Dragon was going to be like. It's it's raunchy. There's still orgies at uh, brothels and there's still people giving birth with blood and guts and beheadings and all that stuff that's there is still in it. Yeah, look, that uh, birth scene towards the start of that first episode, that, that was a look-away TV moment. I just... Well, <laughs> That was that was hard to sit through, as were some of those scenes in the sort of the um, jousting in the stadium. That you know, yeah. And there that was, was a violent. Yeah, there was a beheading, and look, I could certainly do with all that that stuff. I think that can be just as powerful by knowing it's going on without having to actually see it. It's, yeah. Um, in a way, it sort of I don't know. It lessens the impact when you actually see it happen. Um, it's an interesting cast they've got. Um, I won't say largely unknown, but it's not it's not an A grade actors, if you like. You know, probably to me the best known person is perhaps Matt Smith, um, who plays the nasty prince. Um, did you ever see him in Maplethorpe? Did you ever watch that about the photographer um, Robert Maplethorpe? Yes, I did watch that one-off movie. It was amazing, and he was really great in that. And Matt Smith is a very brave actor. He he never repeats himself. He can go from playing Doctor Who to Prince Philip to, you know, this outrageous gay artist of the 70s, as in Robert Maplethorpe. Yeah. Of course, he played Prince Philip, I think, in two seasons of The Crown, and it was the 11th yeah. uh, Doctor Who. You mentioned Millie Alcott from a, sort of the lead in um, Foxtel's Upright. Um, she yeah. plays the the young princess in this and does a does a really good job. I thought. Look, she's been amazing for Foxtel. I mean, she's appeared in a lot of shows. I mean, she was uh, in a place to call home once it moved to Foxtel, and you know, she's the star of Upright, which they're doing a second series of with Tim Minchin. So Foxtel will be thrilled that one of their young Aussie actresses is one of the leads in House of Dragon. It's, it's huge for her. She's only 22 years old. Yeah, absolutely. So that's House of Dragon. Uh, well, interesting to see what the the first night numbers did well. The We'll get some data on the sort of total TV figures after the, the first week. I think they'll probably be pretty impressive. It was, I think, HBO's uh, biggest launch ever, of course, Game of Thrones built over time and it, it, it sort of word of mouth, it, it didn't start huge, but it became huge during its um be interesting to see how this develops if because it had a huge audience to start with here. Will yeah. they stick with it? Will it grow or will it um will it sort of drop off a little bit? Look, yes. let, let's let's look at uh, Summer Love. Uh a little bit of a rarity, isn't it? Sort of an Aussie sitcom, if you like. Um Eight episodes, I think, and they call it an anthology comedy. Yeah, anthology is like a new word 
for saying these are one-off plays. And in a way, they sort of are. You know, I, I think back to the early days of TV when all the networks, but particularly the ABC, would have shows like Australian Playhouse, and they would just have these kind of one-act plays, some of which had been performed in the theatre, some of which were recorded there. They would be little one-off random 30-minute shows. And and now we sort of do this with uh, this, this new series, Summer Love. So it's set around a beach house that looks to me like it's in Victoria, maybe uh, Mornington Peninsula, Great Ocean Road, somewhere like that. This beautiful house and each episode has a different group of people coming into it. And look, the first episode I thought was hilariously spot on. (laughs) The childless couple as played by Patrick Brammel and Sibylla Budd uh, sharing this beach house with the really neurotic parents played by Stephen Curry and Harriet Dyer who make life all about their baby and everywhere that child goes, they've got their kind of personal iPad with Bluey, the cartoon, blaring at full blast and driving that other couple mad. I thought it really caught that sort of tension that can be there between, you know, young friends and what happens when one of them has a baby and their lives drastically change. Yeah, I, I thought it was great too. Very funny. The the writing in that first episode was great. I note that a lot of the cast members are involved in writing the episode they're in. Um, wow, that's so interesting. Yeah, that includes Patrick Brammel helped out in that first one, as did Harriet Dyer. Uh, Miranda Tapsell yeah. is one of the writers in her episode. So is uh, Nazim Hussain and also Alison Bell later on in the series. So they, they all contribute to the script. Well, that's really interesting because although this is a comedy series and there's lots of funny things in it, each story has an undercurrent that's very kind of important. That story in the first one about the childless couple now maybe not going to be lifelong friends anymore with their friends who are going to have kids, that's a very real issue that I'm sure a lot of people sometimes go through. And in the second episode, that kind of casual racism that the Miranda Tapsell character encounters and which she eventually points out to her boyfriend and says, why don't you see this happening to me? You just keep going, oh, you're imagining it. I'm not imagining it. And so there's these very serious undercurrents there that make Summer Love more than just a a, a comedy about a beach house. Those stories are based in reality. And now I understand why you've got the Patrick Brammels and Miranda Tapsells uh, being involved in the writing of these episodes because these stories are, are probably mirroring stuff that they're very familiar with yeah it's a nice setting on the coast i think it's on coastal victoria it looks like aries inlet to me but um it's a long time since i've been there but from my memory when i was younger there's the lovely lighthouse on the hill there's the actual inlet which you see um there's some talk about the nrl in the first episode which makes you wonder is it in new south wales but i'm pretty sure it's been filmed on location in victoria of course robin butler and wayne hope both um, based in Melbourne. Well, I saw a shot of the 12 apostles in there. Okay. So I went absolutely Victorian. I was yeah. trying to figure out where it was. Um, the shot of the 12 apostles made me go, we're definitely in that state. Yeah, you've, you've definitely recommend that first episode. It's just so funny. I mean, it starts off with the radio. They're talking about Coast FM. 
Um, everything that comes up for discussion has a has a really quirky, um, funny angle. They, the two blokes, uh, Patrick and Stephen Curry, go to a pub and they're talking about beer. They are the the child watching Bluey. Stephen Curry tries to get the childless couple interested in Blue Bluey. Um, sm- the smacking children discussion is very funny. Um, yeah, I, I sort of won't spoil what happens there, but that's what Patrick Bramall offers as hilarious. And they talk about the future of the planet. Um, it's just great. And I think Stephen Curry, I don't know if he always does great work, but I haven't liked uh, overall a couple of the, the recent projects he's been in. I didn't think they worked. It's great to see him really sort of enjoying this and in a show that just really sort of sparkles. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's also really great too. It's time for us to be thinking about summer now as we come yeah. out of what was a really awfully cold, long winter in Australia. Yes, let's see some shows about summer to make us remember the warm days are coming, everybody. Oh, it's probably a good place to segue into six festivals, which I guess has a has a summer feel about it. Can we say that? Yeah, I, I would absolutely say that. I mean, most music festivals uh, in Australia, they try and hold it in summer because you're going to be outdoors and it's maybe going to rain and there's going to be some mud and all that stuff. So, yeah, you'd rather go to an Aussie music festival in summer than the middle of winter, that is for sure. Yeah. Now, uh, did this bring back memories for you? Because your days at Channel V, the, the channel actually covered a lot of festivals, didn't it? Yeah, six festivals brought back huge memories of my life 20 years ago when I worked at Channel V. And, you know, I always remember, you know, our boss was Barry Chapman and, you know, he Barry was always the real visionary. And Barry used to, you know, drum into us over and over again. Channel V's slogan was, it's all about the music. And Barry used to remind all of us, this is what we're about. We've got a bunch of music-obsessed kids watching us, and it's all about the music. It's not about you. It's not about, it's all about the music. Just remember that and everything will be all right. And that came back to me as I watched Six Festivals because Six Festivals got that really well. I think that you could put a music-obsessed Aussie team now in front of Six Festivals and say, watch this, and they would go, wow, that's great, that feels really authentic. It felt to me like it wasn't faked. It didn't feel to me like they were setting up shots uh, to do it just for this thing. It felt like it was all being filmed on location amongst real music festivals. So that's one hell of a logistical nightmare to pull off. Uh, The fact that they did it over several music festivals, which meant that this was a really long shoot, Um, and the fact that they got those three incredible young actors to play those roles and keep that momentum going. I think that this is an incredible uh, work because capturing music and what teenagers are into is a really, really difficult thing to do, and six festivals has nailed it. Congratulations to Paramount Plus. They are going to hit their target audience right on the money with this. Yeah, I get, there's a lot of young people, you know, get, being given some uh, serious money to, to work on this, and I haven't seen it yet, but I've seen a little bit of uh, about the making of it. Uh, I think it's Macario D'Souza, who's the sort of writer, director, main creator, creative involved. 
Yeah, he's been around. Uh, he's uh, he made the documentary Bra Boys, you know, oh, back okay. in two thousand or seven or whenever it was. Um, and now this, uh, I think this is his first kind of uh, feature with a fictional storyline. But look, you know, he is one hell of a filmmaker to have pulled this off and to have made this look as good as it does. Uh, he is a name to watch in the future. That guy is talented. I see uh, Mark Fennessy is, is credited as one of the executive producers amongst a few others. So he's obviously helped them out with a bit of advice uh, along the way, which uh, sounds like they've probably taken on board. And listening to the a couple of audio clips, they've done a great job on the sound quality. Just sounded really oh. impressive. The sound is great. And the other thing that's great about it is you've got all these musical artists like Phil Jamison and G-Flip playing themselves and sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes interacting with the characters. And it's all so natural. You never once go, oh, this is just, yeah, they're, they're, they're pushing the the credibility here. It all just flows so well. It's just, I was so hugely impressed watching it. The, he talked about in the interview I've seen with um, Macario, he talks about how they, they shot at six festivals, but they also set up like a fake festival down in Canberra where they were able to do some of the shooting that they at that they could in the dialogue and things like that that was hard to nail at the real festival. So that's that's interesting in itself. Could I ask you this, Andrew? It, is the is it mainly how much of it is a music? film or doco as opposed to the narrative how important is the story flowing through it well the story is actually really important because the story is the reason why these three kids want to go to six festivals and the story that runs along there it it, it seems a little bit inconsequential at first because it's it's all about the music back to that again but w when that storyline kicks in it, it really packs an emotional punch and by the end of it i was incredibly moved by it i just think that this is a fantastic fantastic movie it, it could be the best australian movie i've seen all year actually wow that's and it's quite brave and probably quite clever by paramount plus because it's going to bring in a, a a demographic who's maybe not catered to a lot on these um streaming platforms so it'd be interesting to see how it goes yeah yeah well done to everyone who did this can we talk about sherwood yeah Sherwood. So Sherwood yeah. about to premiere in Australia on BBC First through Foxtel and Binge. Yeah. Um, look, if, if you're just looking for a reason to watch this, let's start off with David Morrissey and Leslie Manville. Um, I was yeah. lucky enough to do a, a separate podcast with uh, David Morrissey a few years ago. I think it was the time he was promoting The Missing, I think. Was oh, yeah. The second season of The Missing, I think he played a British Army officer. Interestingly, his wife in that series was played by a favourite of our Keely Hawes. So that oh, was, yeah, um, yeah that, that was a great pairing. But anyway, Leslie Manville is in this and they're the, they're the two stars. Um, and it starts off with a, a couple of uh, murders and then it sort of segues into a manhunt. And I think it's quite a long series. It's actually, I think it's 12 episodes which is a fair commit these days of three or four episodes, but it, I've watched them all, and, wow, it's the closer you get to the end, the more you want to keep watching. So I just went back, wow. and there's a couple of nights where I just had to watch multiple episodes 
because I was able to to get to the end. So it's it's really interesting for me in that the story is based in history uh, with the miners' strike, which, uh, you know, was happening in the UK in the mid-'80s with Margaret Thatcher. And this story happens in a village, Nottinghamshire Village, which, of course, is known as Robin Hood's territory, hence the name Sherwood. And the, the memories of this miners' strike, and in particular what appear to be people who were striking and people who were going into the mines and working as scab labour. Even all these years later, those that has not been forgotten. And, in fact, that appears to be the motive behind the crimes. And I think that's a really interesting way to be telling a murder mystery and to be having, you know, uh, things that happened 40 years ago are still being played out today and, you know, revenge a long time coming, it would appear. Yeah, look, that's a great point. There's just so many reasons to love this, the the historical significance and the connection to what's happening sort of in the modern day and uh, the cast, you know, wow, what a what a brilliant cast. We mentioned um, David Morrissey and Leslie Manville. Um, there's a guy called Adil Akhtar. I don't could you call him a character actor without being disparaging, but um, he plays Joanna Froggartson as well. He plays her father-in-law. And it's a bit of an awkward. Uh, yeah, right. It's a bit of an awkward relationship yet that unfolds in the series between uh, Joanna Froggart's character and her father-in-law. Um, yeah. Pitt Torrens is in it, and the great Ellen Armstrong, who um, also who was uh, one of the sort of four leads in New Tricks uh, for for the decade it was on air, and he also plays um, Martin Freeman's dad in Breeders. He's very oh, good in right. this. Yeah. Well, I picked off a couple of Downton Abbey actors in there. You could obviously oh, could see Joanne Froggart. Yeah, then I was like, that guy, I know that guy. And then I went, oh, he's from downstairs on Downton Abbey, Kevin Doyle, yeah. Yeah, Mr Mosley in uh, Downton Abbey. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's fantastic too. I think he's he's a, he's a neighbour of a, uh, and he's related to um, Leslie Manville. I think he might be her brother-in-law. Just trying to remember back. I saw this a, a couple of months ago and I was lucky to be able to get access to the episodes. But, yeah, look, it's just brilliant. It's, it's one of my best of the year for sure, I'm sure. So so don't miss that. I think BBC First, it's obviously on Foxtel. I think it's still on um, Fetch as well. So there's a few different ways to see that. If you do miss it... Um, I'm pretty sure it's one of those shows that turns up 12 months later. I'm sure it will head to the ABC. Um, sure. Yeah. But um, if you can, you you won't want to wait a whole year to see it. Uh, look, there's a couple of interesting dramas heading to SBS. Uh, the Stranger is the first one, which we've talked about before, Andrew. Well, this seems kind of weird to me, James. This is a Netflix drama that aired in 2020 and I watched it all from start to finish. And it's funny being reminded of it two years later because I suddenly went, gee, what was that show about? And do you know what? The only thing I can vividly remember in it is what happens to Jennifer Saunders' character because I guess, you know, it's it's unusual to see Jennifer Saunders as a supporting actor in something and not being the star. And so I guess I remember what happened to her in this. I don't remember a lot else of uh, The Stranger, though, but I watched it all from start to finish. So if you're looking around SBS On Demand and, and you've never had Netflix, well, there's a Netflix production there for you to watch now. 
Yeah, I think the storyline is, um, I think it's Adam Price learns a what they call a devastating secret about his wife, Corinne. I think Dervla Kerwin plays the wife. Is that right? Oh, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's um, it's interesting. I, I and I think they, they they might be shorter episodes too. I can't remember. But but look, it was okay. I remember when I watched it on. I, Jennifer Saunders doesn't have a huge role in it, does she? No, no. she's real supporting actor. Yeah, yeah, which is interesting, and it sort of tells you the quality of the cast. I think Dirtle Kerwin and Adam Price both do a pretty good job as the two leads. So it's definitely worth investigating and checking out those first couple of episodes and and seeing if you want to stay with it. Yeah. Um, now, there's a third British oh. drama we need to speak about. Okay. But I'm not convinced that this is a great one. They've all, they all start with the letter S. We've had <laughs> Sherwood, Stranger. Now we're on to Suspect, which is a Channel 4 half-hour drama, which is very unusual, James. Most dramas like this go hour. To see something for 30 minutes is interesting, but it feels to me like each 30-minute episode features James Nesbitt and one other actor based on the first episode I watched, which was James Nesbitt and Jolie Richardson. But I can see Anne-Marie Duff and Richard E. Grant in the cast as well. Have you gone past more than the first episode? Because I didn't love it, James. Yeah, I, yeah, I no, I think I did like it more than you. It's a, it's look, it's yet another cop drama with with um, James Nesbitt as a sort of I don't know a, a rogue police officer, if you like, something that he that he did in Bloodlands, which was pretty good, and you didn't sort of find out how rogue he was untowards till the the end of that series. But look, I can always take a fair bit of James. Uh, James Nesbitt, so I was involved. Jolly Richardson is a is a classy actor too. Um, yeah, um, and that I think there's only three characters in that first episode, isn't there? I think she plays like the coroner. He's the detective who makes a, a sort of a gruesome discovery in a visit to the morgue, investigating yeah. a case. Um, and yeah, look, I'm really looking forward to seeing Anne Marie Duff, who we talked about last week. She's in Bad Sisters, of course. Yeah. And Rich Richard E. Grant's coming up. Look, I've I've always got a lot of time for him. So I'm definitely yeah. going to investigate sort of what happens. I, I, there was something quite off-putting to it to me. Admittedly, I did watch it very, very late at night, <laughs> but I just was watching it going, I don't think I like this at all. It felt very overwrought to me. So I'm going to move on. I've got too many other things to watch, but, yeah, m- maybe one day if I'm bored I'll search out the Richard E. Grant episode. Yeah, I mean, they did they, – They if you didn't enjoy the sort of – and they are a bit maybe over the top, those performances, because there's only – well, there's only two yeah. characters for most of that episode. And a, That's what a, I thought, like they were maybe overacting a bit. Yeah, yeah, but it was two good actors. If you want someone to overact, Give me Jolly Richardson and James Nesbitt. I, I think they did a they did a pretty good job, you know. Um, look, we, we're sort of out of time already because there's been that much happening this week. I just want to my last contribution is as look, you think there's been a lot of good stuff on now. There's still plenty of good stuff to come. Um, a couple of uh, I think the Guardian had a roundup of some of the British things to drop before the end of the year as did um, the Radio Times. And look, just quickly, a few things to watch out for. This England with Kenneth Branagh as Boris Johnson. Oh, Have you oh, seen yeah. one of the photos? It's, it's oh, the almost trailer. impossible to tell it's not Boris Johnson. Wow. 
you've got to look twice and go, is that surely that is Boris Johnson? But no, it's Kenneth yeah, Branagh. Yeah. It's Kenneth Branagh playing yeah. that. That looks just brilliant. Um, Crossfire, another thriller featuring Keely Hawes. Um, again, she plays an ex-police uh, officer. Um, her family's on vacation, and there's a they you know they get entangled in in um, something that goes wrong there. That sounds brilliant. Something come. Tim Burton has been directing for Netflix. Um, the series is called Wednesday. It's about oh, the. Why? Sorry. Yeah. Can't wait. This is the new Adams Family <laughs> TV series. And do you know what, James? It's going to premiere uh, around Halloween the okay. same time as Rob Zombie's new version of The Munsters. Oh, wow. So it's like we're back in the 60s. <laughs> we're going to have the Adams Family and The Munsters competing against each other at the same time again. I can't wait for both of them. Yeah, look, Jenna Ortega plays Wednesday in this. Christina Ricci is in it as well. Um, Gwendolyn Christie's in it too. But wait for this. Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones plays Morticia. <laughs> wow. Can't wait. <laughs> Sounds fantastic. Um, David Tennant is coming back in something called The Inside Man. I think he plays a priest in a drama about a prisoner on death row in the US. And uh, Stanley Tucci co-stars. I'm not quite sure who he plays in this. It's a series from um, Stephen Moffat, so it, it should be pretty good. Um, of course, one of the recent things we saw David Tennant in was uh, Dennis, where he played a um, sort of serial uh, killer, and he was fantastic in that. He's also coming up in is it, uh, Lit Venenko, uh, where he plays an ex-KGB officer. So if you know, people who are David Tennant fans, there's plenty ahead for you. Um Aidan Turner, the star of Polderk, is um, yep. finally back in a series called The Suspect, uh, which sounds pretty good. He plays a psychologist who police turn to to help solve a murder case. Um, Damien Lewis returns to the screen in A Spy Among Friends, where he plays an, a British intelligence officer. Uh, Guy Pearce is his co-star in that. And just one more is SAS Rogue Heroes from the uh, creator of Peaky Blinders with uh, Dominic West as in a fictional account of how the SAS was formed. Again, Dominic West, always very busy actor. I think he actually plays Prince Charles in the next series of The Crown. So that'll be yeah. fascinating to see as well. Well, we're never going to have any life at all with all these <laughs> dramas. But let me give a shout-out to an Australian show, which is back next week on the ABC as I close. The Old People's Home for Teenagers is so wonderful. It's just like the original with the four-year-olds. It, it just makes you kind of tear up with joy and happiness at how beautiful it is. It's it's such a great series and it's so wonderful to see the credits roll and hear Annabelle Crabb saying, now go to our website and find out if this is happening in your local area. I just think it's great that an idea like that is kind of travelling around the country. It's a reminder that TV can do great things for community and friendship, I reckon. Yeah, it's great to see this franchise expand out. I think it's uh, made by Endemol Shine Australia. I think it was possibly the most watched season uh, series on the air. There's been two previous ones of the original, I think, hasn't there? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, and I think now that would... 
Yeah, I, I think this will do very well too. So it's um, so well done to all concerned with that. Look, uh, out of time, Andrew. Look, lots to watch um, at the moment and lots to look forward to too. Uh, don't forget you can read Andrew's column every week in uh, Media Week. I've had a peek at what you've been up to this week. I think you talk about Summer of Love. Yeah, definitely going to talk about uh, Summer of Love and give another huge thumbs up to six festivals. Great. Okay, that's in... Uh, uh, the Media Week Morning Report newsletter every Friday, also on our website at mediaweek.com.au. Look out for this podcast on your favourite podcast platform and don't forget to like us or follow us. We'll be back uh, in a week. Thanks, James. Have a great week.